presence, you're going to give up. You're going to be twisted by the enemy. Your heart isn't going to be soft enough to receive what God wants to do in your life. You need presence to come in and to take off layers of hurt, layers of rejection, layers of whatever it is that weights your hands down so much that you can't even worship. You need presence. You need presence. When Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, he said, I don't come to you with wise and eloquent words. He said, I preach Christ crucified, and, and that's the wisdom of God. Christ crucified, that, that's God's wisdom. It's the foolishness of that divine moment that shapes and changes everything about us. Because as God become flesh, he did that so that he could come and live in your flesh. <laughs> he ripped the veil because he wanted to be with you. The answer to everything that you're looking for is presence. It's presence. God wants to be with you. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to remove every hindrance that's standing between you and him. Every hindrance. Every hindrance. So God, remove every hindrance. Soften our hearts, God, to feel again. We need you, God. We need you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. You can be seated. Yeah, the next six weeks, we're going to be really just submersing ourselves in the cross uh, to prepare us for Easter Sunday. And uh, so, so we're really looking forward to that. And uh, we just ask that you just open your heart, open your mind to the Word of God and what God wants to do in your life. You're not here by accident. You're not here because some coincidence you're here on divine appointment and we've been praying and we've been seeking the Lord for what to share and so we just want you to uh, to go on this journey with us of growth of self-examination so the next six weeks are probably going to be a little little heavier than usual and that's okay because the Bible tells us there's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry so the cross is no small subject it's the centerpiece and pinnacle of all history, that everything points to the cross. It's what divides time between B.C. and A.D., the year of our Lord. Um, it is the center point. It's the pinnacle of history. But here's what's unique about this event on the cross. It's not just the pinnacle of history. It's the place to where history keeps going up until the coming of the Lord. <laughs> so it's not like, oh, here's the cross and Jesus, and we just go down from there. We're going all the way up. We're on an ascension journey with Jesus, but we can't get to the resurrection or ascension until we go through the cross. 
And I think that is the story of the cross in a nutshell, is that we would try to circumvent the process that God would have us to go through. And every time you circumvent the process, guess what happens? No resurrection. You go right back to where you started from. So Jesus is giving us this example that we can go headlong into the will of God, even though it might look bad, even though it might look rough, even though it might look impossible, and we can shoot right through that thing, and on the other side is resurrection. So if you've got to follow Jesus into a scary place, don't worry about it. There's resurrection on the other side of it. If you've got to follow Jesus into the unknown portions of life, don't worry about it. Because there's resurrection on the other side of it. So I just want to encourage you. The cross is a scary place. But it's a place that we've got to go. It's the place that we've got to look. And so we're going to look at it again. We're going to look at it again. I was uh, in my yearly reading through the Bible, I was reading, uh, I'm in Samuel, and in 1 Samuel 15, there's a moment where Saul uh, messes up, and, and Samuel says, you know, God's just done with you. And he walks away, and, and Saul tries to grab his garment to stop him, and his garment tore, tears, and Samuel turns around. And captures the moment of tearing and looks back at, at Saul and says, just like this got tore, the kingdom of God is going to be torn from, from you. And so when we look at the cross, we really are dealt with the flesh and we're, and we're dealing with motivations because Saul's prayer was, God, don't take your kingdom from me. Solomon's prayer was, God, give me wisdom. How did that turn out? But do you know what David's prayer was? God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That the heart of everything in the Christian life is that you would want God over all else. So his garment is ripped and he looks back and says, just like this, uh, your, the garment is torn, the kingdom's going to be torn from your hands. And then he says it's too late because he says God is not a human where he would lie or change his mind. Now that was that dispensation. But I want to tell you this. God became a human to change some minds. That no longer would we have a high priest that wouldn't know what it was to change Minds. We have a high priest that became fully human so that minds could be changed. Yeah. Yeah. So this next six weeks, and we're going to land the plane on Good Friday, and then on uh, Easter Sunday, we're just going to celebrate the resurrection of God. <laughs> yeah. So... So this is where we're at the next six Sundays and Good Friday. So, um, so we're looking forward to that. Now, good to the last drop. This is what was a slogan that was first coined by Maxwell House Coffee. And where they got their name was actually there was a, uh, there was a hotel in Nashville called the Maxwell House. And people from all over would go and to get this coffee. 
And in the 30s and 40s, they coined that phrase that it's good to the last drop. So the idea is there that from the first sip to the last, there's going to be no exchange of quality. And I remember when I first got saved, I had people tell me, oh, well, get saved for a while and, and uh, you're not, you'll lose that excitement and you'll lose that joy. And I want to tell you, I've, I've been saved, I'm coming up on 20 years and I'm more excited about Jesus now than I've ever been in my entire life. With all the stuff going on in the world, I'm not sad. I'm not saddened by world events because I know how it ends. It ends with the king coming back. It ends with the king coming back and raising up a church without spot or blemish that's here to take on the world and the demonic powers and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. The gates of hell won't prevail against his church. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be a victorious, triumphant church that's not afraid to even go to the cross. Because that's where the king went. That's where we're going to go to. Yeah. So fear not. Fear not. With knees rattling, you just keep on doing the right thing. You keep on laying hands on folks and praying for them. You keep witnessing. Well, it don't work. Well, keep working it till it works. I don't know what else to tell you. I digress. So I got to thinking about this. Good to the last drop that, that this great squeeze that happens to all of us. That when God became a human, he didn't say, all right, I'm going to take this easy path. But that God would himself would become flesh. And say, I'll be submitted to the worst squeeze in human history. Because you don't know what's in you until you get squeezed. Hello. And then I'm so spiritual, I started thinking about coffee. Now check this out. Coffee is planted, and then it grows, and it produces a fruit. It's actually like a coffee cherry is what they call it. And then at its peak, it's plucked and left in the sun to dry. It's ripped of its flesh. And then when it's as good as dead and dry, it gets ground. And then boiling water gets poured over it. But from that process, a beautiful nectar is formed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And until that boiling water hits it, the complexities and nuances cannot come out. 
and different flavors cannot be extracted until it goes through that process. And as Jesus went right in the heart of that process, he experienced being stripped of his flesh, hung out in the sun, (laughs) thrown in the ground. The boiling of the animosities of the principalities and powers getting poured over him. It only served to extract the complexities and excellencies of God. To create a table on which God would say, let all who are weary come to me. If you're thirsty, I've got a drink for you. This is the place that God would have us to go. The horrors of the process only produce something beautiful. So if you're in the process right now, go ahead and touch your neighbor right now next to you and tell them something beautiful is coming. Go ahead and do it. Something beautiful is coming. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8. All right, that's enough touching. We got, a, we, got some, we got some ground to cover. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 through 8. This is what Paul says. Yet when I am among mature believers, look to your neighbors say mature believers, I do not speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. Verse 7, no, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. Hmm, interesting. Hidden, yet not hidden. Verse 8, but the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. So there's a strange mystery hidden in the cross that the demonic powers don't understand. The demonic powers are looking for rulership and power and and how can I get over on this person and that person? How can I climb this ladder? And God's wisdom says, oh, no, 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 no. If you want to go up, you need to go as far down as you can possibly go, that this is this strange mystery that we've got to trust because when we're following the path of Jesus, there's times where we think of like, if I do that, they're going to win. If I do that, they're going to get one over on me. Jesus' story is the great story of, so what if they get one over on you? They'll never get one over on me. And this wisdom disarms the principalities and powers. There's this moment where Jesus references in Numbers 21 and the children of Israel are are in the wilderness and they start grumbling and complaining. God's people don't do stuff like that. That's just, that was Old Testament. That's Old Testament, yeah. And in chapter 21, verse 4, it says that they traveled from Mount Hor by the road to the Red Sea to go 
around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient along the way. In the Hebrew, it means that the soul of the people became uh, so frustrated that they couldn't bear to go another step with the place that God was taking them through Moses. Verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread or water, and we detest this worthless food. Here's something to know about that sometimes when you leave slavery and go into freedom, the first stop is the wilderness, is the desert. Because where else are you going to learn to trust God? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, where else are you going to trust him? There's no bread or water, and we detest this worthless food. Verse 6, so the Lord sent venomous snakes among the people, <laughs> and they bit the people. Many people of Israel died. Then the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the snakes from us. See, that's the prayer. We always want God to remove the snakes. But here's the problem. The snake had already been entangled in the heart. Uh, take away the snakes in me, God, not out of me. Because the snakes outside of me only serve to show me the snakes that are in me. Uh, so Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, look at God's plan here. Make a poisonous snake and set it on a pole. <laughs> It's like, what? Okay. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole, so that if a snake had bitten someone, when he looked at the bronze snake, he lived. It's like God said, stop what you're doing and look at the curse. Stop what you're doing and look at the curse on the pole. <laughs> and if you'll look at the curse on the pole, you'll be healed. <laughs> so don't run away from the snakes. Don't put out mothballs around your territory and your. Does that even work? I don't know. Somebody told me that. He says, face up to the thing that you've been afraid to look at. Face up to the thing that you've refused to gaze at. And look at this curse on a pole. And look at the thing you're most scared of until fear leaves your body. And you can trust God with all that you have. What I'm finding is, is that what we're afraid to look at and deal with will be the snake that ends up biting us. And God would say, you stand and look at that thing. And the power of God. And the wisdom of God. And you look at that curse. And if you'll look at it long enough, fear will leave your body. The poison will leave you. And this is what Jesus refers back to when Nicodemus comes and talks to him in John chapter 3, verse 9. Nicodemus replied, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you don't understand these things? 
Verse 11, I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we've seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. Verse 14, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you see what he's doing here? He's putting the story together. And he's saying, don't be afraid of the curse. I need you to lose that fear and start operating into faith. And the only way to do that is to face up to the thing that you've been so afraid of. To put your chest out in faith and say, everything in me wants to run. But I'm going to stay put. And I'm going to look at the curse until the curse is lifted from me. That all our life, you know what it is? Coming back and looking at the curse again. Saying, oh, Jesus. This shows me who I am, but this also shows me who you are. And in this place, I find forgiveness. When he says lifted up in the original language, this isn't just a one-time event, that this would be a pendulum lifting that would continuously go up. That when we read the gospel story and we see Jesus, it looks like he keeps just going down, right? Like men are trying to raise him up. Like he feeds the 5,000 and they try to hoist him on their shoulders and say, let's make him king. And Jesus hides from them. (laughs) It's like everything about Jesus' life that would seem to everything he does is creating some kind of success for him that he's going to go up. He continuously denies it, will not let men lift him up. And he keeps going down until it looks like men are bringing him down. It's like Jesus is playing, how low can you go? And his fate ends on a cross. Where if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't even be murdered that way or executed that way. It was reserved only for those who would try to overthrow the Roman government or slaves. That the one who spoke the worlds into existence also sustained a tree that he would be hung on by the word of his power. The one that would have his beard pulled out (laughs) spoke the hands into existence that would pull the beard out and sustained that person to get them to that point. You say, Jesus, what are you doing? We're supposed to win. But it looks like you're losing. But Jesus didn't see things the way we see it. (laughs) He just didn't. That he aligns himself, not with Moses, but with a bronze serpent on a pole. (laughs) He said, I'm going to show you who I am in the story. Remember that bronze serpent lifted up on a pole? Yeah, that's me. 
It looks like a curse, but actually it heals, delivers, makes whole, and changes everything. Rids us of the poison that's in us. So when he says lift it up there, the idea is that the lifting up, it looks like it's a pulling down, but it's a lifting up that starts there, then goes up to a resurrection, and then goes up to an ascension. That it looks like Jesus is going down, but the reality is he's going up. He's going up. So if you're with him, guess where you're going? You're going up. You're going up. See, there's something here, the lifted up. In John chapter 12, he continues this theme and he says, if I be lifted up, remember that? I'll draw all men into myself. That if I be lifted up, and so he's talking here about the cross in this kind of picture. So the lifting up of Jesus on the cross actually becomes Jesus' crowning coronation service where he's actually not on a cross. Jesus pictures it like he's actually on a throne. That to us it looks like a cross, But to God, it looks like a throne. So I want to tell you what you're going through might look like a cross. But I want to tell you something. It could be a throne. Could be a throne. So he's lifted up on this cross. And everybody else sees it as this sad moment in history. Everybody's looking around and his friends have left him. Uh, His mother's gazing at at him being stripped naked and and hanging on the cross. How must that have felt? Um, There's all these elements of shame and people are are hurling insults at him. and, And there's just all this stuff going on. But Jesus understands that moment as actually I'm being set up as the king of the universe. That they did it in mocking. But when they put that crown of thorns on their head, you know what they were really doing? Crowning the king. (laughs) When they wrote that sign as a mockery to the Jews and said, king of the Jews, in every language that everybody, when they walked by, you would be able to read it. When they did that in mocking, they didn't know how they were prophesying the truth of God in that moment. Jesus is being lifted up in his rightful place as king of the universe. So for six long hours on a cross, we find our king. Looks like the death of the slave, but it was the coronation of a king. Looked like he's going down, but he's just started his ascent. <laughs> he was being lifted up high and lofty above the principalities and powers. Verse 5, so that everyone who believes in him, 15, sorry, may have eternal life. Verse 16, for this way, God loved the world. <laughs> 
For in what way? Being lifted up. In that way, God loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. So my charge to you is turn and face the thing that you're most afraid of because that's where the treasure is. That's where the king is. So the cross becomes a mirror that we look into, that we gaze into until fear releases from us and we're healed. We're healed. Because that's the issue. The issue is fear. The reason why you're not doing what you're supposed to do right now is you're afraid. You're afraid of what others might think. You're afraid of, of this. You're afraid of failing. You're afraid of this. Your own insecurities are informing you instead of the faith that God is speaking, trying to speak into you. All these things, it's all fear. Because what is perfect love trying to do? Is it trying to cast out all hate? That the root of everything would be fear. So how are you going to get over fear? Face up to the thing that you've been so afraid to face up to. Face up to the person that you've been so afraid to face up to. Say something when you've been quiet for too long. See, we want God to just wave a magic wand over us and say, Woohoo! Abracadabra. No, that's sorcery. God didn't become flesh to create Lucky Charms. Uh, and I'm just going to say it. Some of you need to quit blaming your sign for acting a certain kind of way. There's a, uh, it's scriptural. I'm going to tell you right here. You know when James says that all the good and perfect gifts come from the Father of lights? He's talking about stars. He says that your good gift and, a, and your... Uh, Destiny is not attached to a star or a sign. It goes actually beyond that. And it's with the one who is seated at the right hand of God. Above the principalities and powers. So Jesus is drawing us into this thing of facing our fears. And I can tell you, man, I can preach big up here, but I'm going to tell you right now. I got some things I'm going to have to face up to. I'm in this with you. And we're going to make a vow to ourselves that by the time we get through with this cross series, we're going to have faced some things that we've been putting off for too long. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to face them. We're going to face them. Because here's what I realize about fear. It never turns out the way you're afraid that it's going to turn out. It's a false prophecy. It's a prophecy hidden in the heart of the devil, not in the heart of God. Because that's all the devil has. All the devil can do is make you afraid and get you uh, backing up every time you're supposed to step into the thing that he's called you to do. That's all, all it is. It's, it's a fear. So turn and face what you're most 
scared of. What Jesus does is he goes to the place that we're all afraid of. Well, if I go on the cross, I'm going to look like a slave even though I'm a king. So what? Who am I trying to impress? God or everybody else? Well, if they do that, they're going to strip me of my garments and I'll be naked. So? The world needs to see what God looks like in every part. Oh, what about the, the guilt and the shame? So? So what? He goes to the place that humans are so afraid of. Place of powerlessness. Place where other people are putting us in a position that we don't feel like we ought to be in. Place of shame, uncomfort. This is the place where God's going. But then we have a part in this, don't we? Because it wasn't for Jesus' sins that he died. He didn't die for his own sins. (laughs) He died for the sins of the world. So there's something in us that needs to look at this picture. Where we come face to face with the reality of who we actually are. There's a stained glass in a church in St. Andrew's Church in Edinburgh. And I think we have a picture of it. And if you, I don't know if you can see it, but in the, the very bottom right corner, do you see how everybody else is looking at the cross and looking at the spectacle? But in the very bottom right corner, there's a little boy. Do you see who is he looking at? He's looking at you and me. And the idea is, is don't get caught up in the spectacle and realize and think you didn't have a part to play in it. He's looking at you and he's saying, son of Adam. Son of Adam, it was your sins that put God here. And if you were there, don't get high and mighty because just like Adam felt in the garden, you would have felt like that too. He's looking at you saying, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with what you've done? Don't divorce yourself from this and make this into some kind of holy holiday. It's the Son of God dying for you. So like that little boy, I'm going to look you in the eyes too. Say, what's your part? Yeah, you got hurt. Yeah, this or that happened. But what was your part? What was your part to play? We all had a part to play in the fallenness of the world. And our best attempts to make it better sometimes only serve to make it worse. And this is the mirror that we look to. That it's so easy to get in the crowd and see the spectacle. (laughs) But he's looking at you. He's looking at me. We had a part. Sometimes we distance ourselves from tragedy, right? Because we say, well, I wasn't there. Oh, yes, you were. 
Just like in Adam, all of humanity's representative, you were there present in him. Yeah, you're there. But here's the beauty. Jesus says, oh, son of Adam, look at this curse lifted up on a pole. And if you'll look at it and not leave, I'll make you a son of God. That your best laid plans to kill me actually served as God's plan to save you. You can't outsmart God even when you try to kill him. You can't, you can't outsmart God. So what the world would call foolishness in a place of defeat, God says, ah, uh, I don't look at it like that. It's a place where I begin my ascent to the right hand of God and where I was crowned king. So close your eyes with me. Let's, no, we're not praying, so you forget that idea. It's not over yet. Close your eyes and go there with me, would you? I want you to see the hill outside of the city because they wouldn't commit these acts inside of the city. This had to be done on the outskirts near a valley called the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, where the south gate was. It was where all the trash was thrown and all the people that had no family members to bury them, the slaves, the insurrectionists. It was where they were tossed. It's where Jesus pointed to and when he was talking about hellfire. He called it Guiana, an endless burning of trash. Where everybody would take through the south gate, which is called the dung gate in Jerusalem, and where they would dump their stuff, would have been in that proximity. A barren hill, <laughs> desert landscape. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, darkness over the sky. Son of God hanging between two criminals and between earth and sky. No place to go. Insults hurled from the ground up and the demonic principalities and powers hurling suffering from above. Counted among thieves and between two criminals who were actually guilty son of man getting stripped and skinned and squeezed to see what God is really made of and you know what I found is when people come at us and try to squeeze us don't take it personal because you know what they're really trying to do they're trying to see if what you got is actually real they're trying to see if you get squeezed, will the God thing in you actually come out or will it not? This was men's best laid attempts to say, God, what you say is not true. And we're going to make you curse us and get rid of you. You can open your eyes.
when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice, right? <laughs> Not apple juice. <laughs> when you squeeze God, what comes out? God. That God is showing us that even in the flesh, every fiber of Him is still God. Every fiber of Him is still God. God, and so when Jesus is squeezed, seven utterances come out. He says seven words, and that's what we're going to examine. We're going to examine what Jesus said as he hung on a cross, as he's being mocked. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34. This is the first thing that Jesus said. So when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now, this place was called the place of the skull because so many people were executed there. There's some historians that say that so many people were crucified in Jerusalem that you could hardly find a tree big enough to make a new cross. That the idea is they had to become efficient in reusing the nails and reusing the, the wood and, and, to, and to reuse because this process had become so popular within Judea, within that time frame. This place called the skull was called the skull because it, so many skulls were there. <laughs> that this is extra biblical, but... Some rabbis say that this is the place to where when David killed Goliath and took his head, this is the place to where he put the head on a pole and stuck it up to let everybody know about the God of Judah and what he was able to do through David. But here we find not the head of a giant enemy, but God himself hung on the cross. And this is Jesus' first statement. Verse 34, But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Then they threw dice to divide his clothes. That Jesus opens his ministry in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when he's getting baptized. It says that he starts praying and the heavens open up. That Jesus started his ministry with prayer. And even though it didn't pay off, he ends his ministry with prayer. And guess where he goes after he resurrects and ascends to the right hand of God? To the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession. <laughs> Jesus didn't quit praying no matter what the situation was. That the circumstance didn't change his prayer, whether he's getting baptized in the voice of God and the Holy Spirit like a dove, like, wow, that must have been really cool. 
Now here he is on a cross, not a cool stream, not with God's people cheering, not with John the Baptist saying, oh, I'm not worthy to latch your sandal, none of that stuff. He's on a cross hanging that people have put him there and he prays for them. Had somebody tell me the other day, God doesn't love me and he's not with me and if he don't show up, I'm giving up on God. I said, yikes. What an arrogant statement to make. When you look at the cross, what other conclusion could you come to? One you couldn't is that God didn't care. He was indifferent. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as he's praying that, Roman soldiers are at the foot of the cross gambling for his clothes. That it's amazing that God is committed to who he is the entire time. It's all good. I'm glad we got... Somebody here that's, we got a new life here, so it's, it's all good. We're, we're just, let's, just, let's just address it. Let's just address it. <laughs> that Jesus would be right in the thick of things, and everybody around him is sinning, yet he's committed to who he is. Do you know why? Because God isn't trying to be God. He just is. God isn't trying to be love. He is. And so this scene only just displays the love that's in God's heart and the good things that God wants to do. For us. You know, it's kind of weird because in those moments where you were sinning, you feel like God wasn't there, right? You just feel like it. You feel like, oh, I'm sitting here. I'm doing this bad thing. I'm going to hide myself from God. Like you feel like Jonah, right? If I get on this ship, God's the God of Israel. But if I get on this ship and I go over here, then like I can hide from God. If I can sin and do something bad enough, God won't be there. And there he is. Father, forgive them. It should be like this. Father, forgive them. They don't know who they are. Father, forgive them. They don't even have a clue who they are. But Christ stays right there in the middle to create a mirror for us to look at ourselves and to see our own evil and to deal with it. There's a martial arts called uh, Aikido. And yes, I am a master. So, <laughs> so don't come up here. Could get bad for you. No, I'm actually not a master. But I will say this. That this form of martial arts, you know what it's aimed at? 
it's aimed at the aggressor coming towards you and you using their body weight against them to keep them off of you. And the idea is, is as you're able to keep moving them away from you, eventually they'll see their own evil in their heart and they'll stop. That it's a martial art not aimed at hurting, but aimed at you to get to deal with your own anger and your own self. That's what the cross is. It's God in all of our angry attempts to get us to deal with our self. It's a mirror that you got to look at. you got to face up to it. Because there's something about God is he's committed to not go anywhere. Now there's a statement there, they know not what they do. I want to submit to you, they knew exactly what they were doing. But they didn't know the magnitude of which they were doing. They thought they were killing a crazy guy. (laughs) They thought they were killing some insurrectionists. They thought something else was going on. But they didn't realize that it was the Son of God. They do not know what they do was actually aimed at. They were ignorant of the enormity of their crime. That they knew not that it was the Lord of glory they were crucifying. They know not. But they know not what they do. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't know the magnitude. Game being played at his feet for an outward blessing. And Jesus is willing to lose everything on the outside of him so that you could see what's on the inside of him. That it was a moment in which God was fully stripped and was on display so that you wouldn't have to question what's on the inside of his heart for you. That this stripping was, in a sense, a backwards picture of the story of the bride and the groom. Whereas throughout all history, it was never the male's purity put on display, was it? It was always, is the woman pure? Is the bride pure? Where's the blood? We've got to find out the, the bride is pure. God comes in and says, no. The husband's pure. And the husband's pure enough to cover the bride and make the bride pure and lovely and beautiful and wonderful and without spot and without blemish. So quit examining yourself for your own purity. It ain't there. The king of glory has come out and just shed his blood over our sins and made us as white as snow. So receive it. Receive it. Stare at the cross, that scary place, and receive it. Well, I'm not worthy of it. I don't care. You don't get to say what you're worthy of and what you're not worthy of. You're not God. God is saying you're worthy of it, and he wanted to do it. 
Jesus is not hanging on the cross regretting that decision. Oh, I'm going to hang on this cross, and you know they're not going to listen anyway. Oh, this is just, what a terrible moment. What a, what a fleeting moment. It's not going to work. It's like, no. I'm doing this for them. I love them. So when Jesus tells us, aren't you glad Jesus practiced what he preached? Remember in Matthew chapter 5, he says to bless those who cursed you and pray for those who despitefully use you. What's Jesus doing? Father, forgive them. (laughs) It's like, thank you, Jesus, for practicing what you preach. I think of this picture, and I've never really heard anybody else say this, but I think it's valid. But you know the picture of Samson and his great strength? He gets blinded, and he's down, and he's grinding in a prison house. And the enemy takes him up as a spectacle to show, like, ah, look, here was the guy that was so strong, caused so much trouble. Look at him now. And Samson gets pulled out, and he gets tied in between two pillars. (laughs) And the Bible says that he prayed that God would give him strength to win the victory. And he was flooded back with strength and he pushed those pillars down. And the Bible says that in his death, he killed more enemies than he ever did in his life. You you see the picture here? And so then we have Jesus (laughs) on the cross. And with his death, he doesn't kill people, he saves them. And the enemy he defeats is the principalities and powers. That he saves you but deals with your sin. That you are not your sin. You are not your actions. You are who God says you are. And you need to come out of that stuff come out of the sin because God's made a way. He's made a way. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 through 15 says he has destroyed what was against us. A certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Disarming the rulers and authorities he has made a public disgrace of them triumphing over them by the cross. That the only weapon Satan has against you is unforgiven sin. But God takes that out of Satan's hand by shedding his blood for your transgressions and trespasses. It's a beautiful picture that he shamed shame with shame. cross looks like a place of defeat but it's a place of victory then this becomes the standard the grace that is given because when Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is is preaching his sermon and he's he's trying to get to them he says this Christ who you who you crucified 
This Christ who you crucified has risen from the dead. And even though you didn't understand what you were doing, God used it. Even though he knew your frame and knew that you would rebel, he used that moment in time to accomplish the salvation purposes in all the earth. Even though you didn't know exactly what you were doing in your crime, your crime resulted in the situation that would put you in a position that you could actually be the son's and people of God. And they get upset and they stone them. It says they were cut to the heart. In other words, when you preach the cross, a mirror gets shown and sometimes people don't like what they say. But do you know what Stephen did? Stephen stayed in the image of God in which he was created in. And as Stephen's getting stoned, the Bible, he says, God, don't lay this charge to them. The Bible says that when Stephen looked up, he saw the Son of Man standing in the clouds at the right hand of God. It's the only time we see Jesus at the right hand of God, not sitting, but standing. Who do you think he was performing for? He didn't care if nobody else in the room stood up. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm in tune with the audience of one here. Okay, Jesus, you're standing up, then that's all that counts. Okay, you're standing up. You're standing up. But the cross forgives us of our sin and allows us the grace where we could do the same thing. Sin's power has been broken over you. So stop. Stop. Well, I'm addicted. Stop. Well, I got... Stop. Well, you don't know... Stop! Power of sin's been broken. On the cross... That we could live the way Jesus lived. Let's pray. God, some of us need forgiveness and some of us need to forgive. I stand as one. And God, I need to forgive. God, it looked like a tragedy, but it's actually victory. God, you only opened your mouth on the cross when when the Father spoke to you what to say. (laughs) God, teach us to hold our tongue until the Father tells us what to say. The silent, crucified, sinless one. Forgive my murmurs at such tiny wounds. God, thank you for keeping the mirror up. 
Thank you, God, for making the cross the centerpiece that we would all have to look at and deal with. Because there's times, God, I don't want to look at myself. I don't want to see what I look like. But the cross gives me a picture of who I am and who you are. And that I don't have to fret because I have now been crucified with Christ. That it's no longer I who live, but you that lives in me. So God, instead of running from it, God, we run to it. Instead of trying to avoid the curse on the pole, God, we face up to it. We look at it. And we say, oh God, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for being the curse on the pole. You didn't have to do it, God, but you wanted to because you're trying to make a family of image bearers. You're restoring what was lost in the garden where heaven would intersect earth again. For God, that you being fully God and fully man would bring back the reality that the Spirit of God could wash over and fill and touch every flesh that would come to you. So God, pour it out. Pour it out. Man, if you need to be saved, I'd stand on my feet and I'd come down to the front right now. I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't hesitate. If you need forgiveness, I want you to come up. Stand where you're at. Just come down to the front if you need forgiveness. Come on. Move. It ain't about you and them. It's about you and him. Amen. Who else? You need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. Who else? You need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. It's there. It's there for you. But you gotta come. You gotta look at the serpent on the pole. You gotta look at what's scary in your life. You can't be afraid of what everybody's gonna say about you. You gotta man up and woman up. You gotta be brave to look at the serpent on the pole. You gotta admit, I got bit. <laughs> and that's why I'm here. <laughs> Anybody hear you say, I need to forgive some folks? I want you to come up. It's time to forgive. Look at the pole. Jesus forgave them. What happened to you wasn't worse than Jesus, I promise you. What happened to you wasn't worse than Jesus. It was the worst that happened to him. It was the worst that happened to him.
stretch your hands this way and pray for my friends. God, we 